Good morning, brothers and sisters. Am I on? I'm on up here. Good. Very good. It's good to be with you. It's been, I think, five years since I've been with you and had the opportunity to worship with you, so uh, it's good to be back. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11 this morning. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, and I think I read on the bulletin that that's page 10 if you're going to use the Bible in the seat in front of you. As you're turning there, uh, know that uh, the saints at Grace Church send their greetings and uh, want you to know that the Lord is blessing us down there, uh, and we are very grateful for that. As as Alex said earlier, uh, the Winder family was hopeful to join me this morning, but a stomach bug uh, wrecked havoc on four of the five children, and, uh, and so they are staying home. You're welcome. Uh, very contagious. We're going to spend our time this morning on the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 11, and I invite you, if you're able, please, to stand for the reading of God's holy word out of respect for it, then I'll pray, and I'll invite you to be seated. Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to, the one, or they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Amen. This is God's holy and inspired word, and he's given it to us that we might know him, love him, and learn how to live in light of his love for us. Let me pray, and then I'll invite you to be seated. Lord, we wish to see Jesus this morning. So by your Spirit's power, give us eyes to see his glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I want you to imagine with me that you witness this brief conversation between a grandfather and a grandson in the year 1400 B.C., 1400 BC, a grandfather and his grandson are sitting outside of their tent looking at the fire. And the inquisitive little grandson says to his grandfather, Papa, where do our people come from? Who are the Israelites? And and where, where do we come from? And the Papa, with a twinkle in his eye that's very rarely seen, says to his dear grandson, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim va'et ha'aretz. Alex could tell you what that was if he looked 
That was Hebrew for Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where we come from. In the beginning. And then the papa tells the grandson about Adam and Eve and about the beautiful garden that God provided for his people. But then he tells about that serpent and the fall and Cain and Abel and Lamech, Noah, Ham, Shem, Japheth. And the papa eventually gets to the end of Genesis 10 and, and the grandson can't blurt out after, after the grandpapa says there were 70 nations. 70. And the grandson says, Papa, why, why so many nations? Why not just one nation? God created one people to, to, to bless and to go out and fill the earth. One people. And the papa, without the twinkle in his eye, says, because my son, the people wanted to make a name for themselves. They no longer wanted God's name upon them. I introduce you to Genesis chapter 11, where people no longer wanted God's name to be upon them, but they wanted to make a name for themselves. Genesis 3 is rightly considered to be the fall, like the big capital F, fall. But I contend that Genesis 11 is a monumental fall as well. Genesis 11 reminds us that as we try to build things in our own strength for our own glory, we fall. And we fall hard. And we fall long. The endless pursuit of vainglory, of man-made religion, of self-glorification is all over Genesis chapter 11. More than anything else, the peoples of the earth wanted to make a name for themselves and in so doing reject God. If you know it, please tell me, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so why do we seek glory for ourselves? Well, it's because of sin. The history of mankind, starting with Adam and Eve, all the way to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, and all the way to us, is a story about man seeking glory for himself. And to fix it all, to fix it in Genesis 11, and to fix it today, God comes down. God comes down. This is what our text teaches us. To get through these nine verses, what we'll see are three things. We'll see first a rising action. We're just going to go through the narrative. There's going to be a rising action, then there's going to be a climax and a resolution. Let's look at the rising action together. Verses 1 through 4. Starting in verse 1. The whole earth was of one language in the same words. Listen, that's a good thing. Communication community, being able to speak with one another, being of one purpose, that's a good thing. But the people migrated from the east and they found a plain and settled there. Now you may remember that God's command in Genesis 1 was to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Here, the people are doing the opposite of that. They're settling together. Rather than listening to God's word, they wanted to do it their own way. 
And so these independent God ignorers that make up about 70 nations at this time had one language, and they took it for granted. How often do we take God's pretty mundane, everyday gifts and blessings for granted? So they, they had one language, and they said, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And then they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar so that they could build things. They, they've developed technology. They're going to do something new. They're going to they're do something with their own hands, and they were very proud of this. They're saying, look at us. Look what we can do. Look what we can come up with. Let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. Building things is not wrong. But then comes the desire of their hearts. Ah, let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They're looking for safety. They're looking for security. And in doing so, they're rejecting God's word. And they're rejecting God's command. And so they move and they settle. And they wanted to make a name for themselves. One commentator says they wanted to build a perpetual memorial. Perpetual memorial. That sounds a lot like our culture where we build all of these things to make a name for ourselves rather than to give glory to God for all that He's done for us. Now, I heard a pastor one time say this, speaking of making a name for ourselves. He says, when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, to shouts and commotion of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming of our father David. The pastor says, could you imagine if the donkey thought all of that commotion was for him? That he had some kind of a name that was worthy to be praised? My friends, you and me are the donkey. We're not the one to be praised. The one to be praised is, is the one whom the donkey is carrying. Don't, illustration over, we're not carrying Jesus like the donkey carries Jesus. What I'm trying to get at is that we were designed and hardwired for glory, but not to pursue our own, but to make God's name one of glory, to experience and to pursue glory. Instead, we, we exchange the truth about God for a million lies. We were meant to experience God's unfiltered, unmixed glory in His glorious garden forever. But then the serpent comes and convinces Adam and Eve that it would be better to compete with God's glory rather than ascribe to Him the glory that is due His name. And I recognize that my audience this morning, the people of God who I'm preaching to, are very different than the ones whom the Lord has entrusted to my care down in Layton, Utah. Down there, I'm preaching to lieutenant colonels who want to become colonels and colonels who want to become generals or young families who have moved into the area primarily for career, for advancement, for bigger houses. So I'm not quite sure what you pursue for vainglory, but it's probably a lot more similar than we think. 
And when we pursue our own glory, it is always to our own devastation. Not to mention, the world that we live in is the internet age. And even worse, the social media age. I can't think of anything that promotes vainglory more, perhaps, than this world of social media. If I just put up the right picture or share the right thing or tag the right thing or, or make the perfect post, then I can get more likes, more shares, etc., etc. And the statistics are suggesting, folks, that it's actually the older generation. You decide what's older. I won't decide for you. But it's actually the older generation that is more hooked on social media than the younger generations. We don't need people's approval. Now, God can use social media for his glory, but how often do we? We were not designed to get vainglory from horizontal places. God created us to receive grace and mercy from him. But our society is built around making a name for ourselves. Now, when I preached from this a few years ago, when I was preaching from Genesis 4, with the help of some gifted scholars and some technical Hebrew, which I will not go into this morning for your benefit, I made the argument that in Genesis chapter 4, turn a couple pages back to Genesis chapter 4, and look at the last verse of Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. When we read, To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. With the help of some very gifted men, I argued that the last phrase could actually be translated, at that time, the people were called by God's name. Seth is the line of the promise. Abel was killed. And so God is saying that at at that time, as the line is going forward, the people, the promised seed, was called by the name of the Lord. They were called by Yahweh's name. And I think, I think that fits well with the, the tension in Genesis chapter 11. The people did not want to be called by God's name anymore, even though he promised the seed of the woman that they would always be called by his name. So when we pursue our own vainglory, we should be reminded that that will never fly with Yahweh. He will always get the glory that he deserves. So let's look at his response in verse 5. Actually, that's, that, is, that is the climax. So rising action, climax. The Lord comes down to see the city and the tower which the children of the Lord or children of men had built. Now, this is the climax, but if we move too quickly through, through verse 5, we'll miss the fact that it's the climax, but we'll also miss that we are not to see God here. You know this, people of God. We are not to see this as God being some sort of weakling who's threatened by what's happening in this tower constructing incident. Let's slow down a bit and realize that 
the text itself is trying to drive us actually to verse 5 to see this as the climax. You, you may notice in verse 1 and 9, they have something to do together, uh, to, to, towards one another, rather. The whole earth had one language. And what does God do in response to their sin? The Lord confused the language of the earth. Verse 9. Look at verse 2. The people migrated and settled. Verse 8, the Lord dispersed them. Verse 3. They said, come, let us make bricks and build and go up. Verse 7, the Lord said, let us come down. Verse 4, come, let us build a city. Verse 6, hey, we think that we've done something. They have done something. Let's make sure that it never happens again. So that leaves us with verse 5, right in the middle. So the first verse is building to verse 5. Everything from verse 5 is resolving the tension. This is the climax of the story. And then second, God is not a weakling who's afraid of what this people might do. God is not coming down apprehensively to figure out what the next move these people will make is. He's not sizing up the people to figure out what kind of threat he's dealing with. God is not treating the people that he has created like we treat that itty-bitty house spider in our basement bathroom. You know what I'm talking about. You shudder when you first see it, maybe, and then you figure out, okay, how much toilet paper am I actually going to have to come out so that I can crush this thing? You know what my boy does? My eight-year-old boy, when he sees a spider in the basement bathroom, he looks at it, he walks up to it, and he goes, boom, with his fist. God is not inspecting what kind of threat these people might be to his glory. He's not sizing up the spider, as it were. He's not threatened. You want to know how threatened God is by us trying to pursue our vain glory? Psalm 2 will do the trick. Verses 1 through 4. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Here's the Lord's response. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He laughs. And the word for derision, some synonyms are he, he mocks. He, he ridicules. He, he holds them in contempt. That's what's happening here. As we pursue vainglory, the Lord laughs. He's not threatened. But our hearts are. And there's irony here. Because the people's great plan to advance their plans is totally backwards. They should know that they aren't the only people that were trying to build ladders to get to heaven. This was a common thing in this day. They're called ziggurats, if you want to know. And they were ladders to access the gods, to commune with the gods, right? So here they are trying to commune with the gods and literally putting bricks on top of one another in the form of kind of like this stairway to meet with God. So God comes down to make sure that their plans do not move forward. God's plan for the whole world including me and you, always moves forward despite us. So what that means is that 
God is not concerned about artificial intelligence. I've read all the articles. I know that this thing is kind of scary. God's not concerned. That's not how the world's going to end, I promise. Like the movie iRobot. God is not concerned about... I mean, he is concerned, but the end of the world is not going to come through the Russia-Ukraine conflict. He knows exactly when and how it's going to end. We should pray. We should care. But it is not robbing God from His glory. The advancement of the wicked, ungodly, anti-gospel worldviews that are plaguing our nation right now take no glory from God. One of the other things I think that Genesis 11 helps us remember is that we should pray that prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray. When we wake up and we realize that the world is going in a complete opposite direction of God, and many times we're, not by profession, but by practice, either walking or looking or tempted to look or tempted to walk that way, that we can go back to that simple prayer that Jesus taught His disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Or we could say, Father who's in heaven, hallow Your name. Make it holy, but never, never, never mind. And I'll tell you, I'm prone to build my own little kingdom. But God is on His throne. He's high and lifted up. And He's the only one that deserves glory. So friends, brothers and sisters, lest He move His plan forward and we move backwards, we would all do well to think about the ways in which we pursue our own glory. Let's move on now to the resolution. Quite simply stated, the resolution from verses 6 through 9 is that the people left off building the city. It was was a vain attempt when they started, and it was a vain attempt when they decided to put the bricks down and walk away because they couldn't communicate. They were trying to build this tower to communicate with the gods, but their inability to communicate left them in a place where they physically could not move forward. How devastating this must have been for them. They moved from the east. They traveled together to accomplish this thing. And then the Lord comes down and confuses their language. This is one of my kids' favorite stories in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Quoting from that, the writer says, Suddenly no one understood what anyone else was saying. Someone would say, how do you do? And the other person thought they said, how ugly are you? It wasn't funny. And you could say something like this, such a lovely morning and get punched in the nose because they thought you said, hush up, you're boring. <laughs> right? See how useless to move forward. The endeavor to make a name for themselves to reach to the heavens was as fruitless before they could communicate and after they couldn't. Paul Tripp says that all human beings were created to live with a consciousness of God that shaped their entire life. We were created with a willingness to submit to God's authority. 
And this means that you and I will never be at the center of life because God is. And I can't remember if these were my words or his words, but I wrote here, but oh, we try to be our own authority. Psalm 24 helps. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. So God has blessed His people. He said, be fruitful, multiply. And what they say in Genesis 11 by their actions is, nope, our way, not yours. And this is all backwards. I challenge you this week, brothers and sisters, to take a deep, painful, specific inventory of what you love most. Is God there? Is God at the center of your life? Well, how do you know if God is at the center of your life? Follow your loves. Follow the things that you spend the most free time doing. Look at your hobbies. Look at your calendar. Look at your bank account. You want to know what you love? It's what you spend your money on. If God is to be at the center of our lives... We need to know what tries to take his place. So take a deep look into what you love. And then secondly, I challenge you, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a son or, son or daughter of God, through Christ the King, repent and believe. Repent and believe. We all Every one of us, the most seasoned Christian here and those who may not be, challenge God's authority. This is what happened before the fall. This is what happened after the fall. This is what will happen until Jesus comes back to get us. We want to be the ones in charge. And pursuing what we love will show us who we love. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, pursuing what you love now, endlessly, will give you endless regret in the life to come. So come, believe, and repent. And that is true for every Christian in this room as well. Come back to the cross. Leave your loves there. Repent. You know, I preached this a few years ago, and the trail that I found when I did this deep, dark inventory was not a trail that I appreciated finding. But Jesus is enough. He knows your trail, and he knows how to bring you back to himself. So do it one more time, Christian. Repent and believe one more time, and Jesus will forgive you. Now, Here comes the ultimate solution, and we're getting close to being finished this morning. The ultimate solution. We're going to zoom out from Genesis 11 this morning. Genesis 11, God scatters the people. He confuses their languages. And then the very next chapter, He calls out His chosen servant, Abraham. And through Abraham, God will make His people a great nation. And through His people, He will bless the nations. And eventually... The nations will come to the holy mountain Jerusalem. And this time, praise be to God, that what the people build is according to God's word. They build the temple. 
And the temple high up on this holy mountain was for the purpose of the people of God to worship and the nations to come and say, what is it about this people? What is it about this God that is so special? And what happens in that temple reminds us that we are sinful, wicked, and even when we build things according to God's perfect design, When we trust in ourselves or trust what we can do, like build little idols and bow down and worship them. When we forget what God is doing for us and that He is the one who deserves glory, that temple reminds us that we need something better. We've always needed something better. So listen to these words from Zephaniah chapter 3. Starting in verse 9, For at that time, prophesying of the future, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of water of my dispersed ones, Genesis 11, shall bring my offering. And on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, and they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. You see what's happening here? We're talking about languages and holy mountains and dispersed ones and seeking refuge in the name of the Lord. Just like they were created to do. Just like we've been recreated to do in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Zephaniah talking about here? It's a reversal of Babel. And to connect it to Jesus Christ, I want to highlight the fact that These people came from the east and they settled. Do you remember where the people came to see the Lord Jesus after he was born? Well, they traveled from the east. God came down in Genesis 11 and God came down in Matthew chapter 2. But this time, God was not coming down in the midst of his people to scatter them and confuse them. The Lord Jesus was coming down to draw all those whom the Father has given him And not to build or rebuild a temple, but to show that He's the temple. He's the one that all of the Bible has been pointing to since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And then when He lives the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve and then rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, who does He send? God the Holy Spirit to make you and me the temple of the living God. In other words, God the Father comes to disperse in Genesis 11. Then God the Son comes down to reverse in Matthew 2. And then God the Holy Spirit comes down to converse on the day of Pentecost. And He's never left. Hallelujah. In three words, God overcomes sin. I want you to think about the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 7. 
There we read that a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, they will all be standing before the throne and the Lamb, and they will be crying out with how many voices? One voice. A whole bunch of different languages, but one voice. How? God has finished His work. What will they be singing? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels that are standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures that are flying, they all fall on their faces before the throne of God. I want you to picture the seraphim and the cherubim who were made to fly, fall down, and worship. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Just like we were created to do in Genesis 1. Just like we'll do for the rest of history in the new heavens and the new earth. And everything that happens in between, though mysterious to us, all happens. For God's glory. Oh, that we, people of God, you and me, would stop saying, how is it that I can make a name for myself today? And that we would say, how can I make God's name great today? How can I ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name? This takes some practice. <laughs> doesn't come easy. It comes with a lot of mortification of sin and a lot of looking at King Jesus to help us through His Word and through His Spirit. The first line of the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, says this, High King of Heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. May the Lord be your vision. And may you reach heaven's joys not by a tower, not by a city, not by a career, not by a pursuit of hobbies, but through faith in the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, who came down to rescue you from yourself. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, oh, that we would be a people that practices making much of your great name. So give us an increased desire by your grace alone to ascribe to you, O oh God, the glory that is due your name. We are created. We are hardwired for glory, but not our own. So convict us, Holy Spirit. But do not leave us where you found us. But show us Jesus. And give us obedient hearts that seek refuge in the name of the Lord our God. In the name of Jesus Christ in whom we pray. Amen.